Hey everybody, welcome to Street Fight Radio. Very special bonus show, one that I haven't done in a while, um, but I really want to commit myself to doing more of. So if you're a part of any activist organizations or unions or you're working on anything Street Fight related, please reach out to me. I'd love to schedule a sit down uh, and talk with what's going on uh, in your in your world. Uh, street Fight, like we say, is entertainment for people that are on the ground uh, doing the work. Um, fighting the good fight and that's why we do what we do we want to create a community uh, make it so that it's not always uh, you know just do not always doing the hard work we want to provide some laughter some levity and a place to find people um, that aren't going to piss you off uh, with their stupid politics so (laughs) this week I have a group that um, I know because of the Los Angeles DSA who is you know very friendly with Street Fight and a lot of their members invo- are involved with our group and how they, they tabled at our show. Um, they uh, let me know about No Olympics LA, which is a, a group of people that are trying to prevent the 2028 uh, Olympics coming to Los Angeles. And so we're going to talk today about, you know, what the strategy is and what's going on with the campaign so far. And I have with me uh, from No Olympics LA, Steven and Johnny. How are y'all doing? Hey, how's it going? Morning. Thanks for having us. And who's who? I'm sorry for Johnny here, the the one who talks and mumbles more, probably. Yeah, this is Steven. There you go. All right. <laughs> Steven more it, stoic. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. stoic. Very, very <laughs> proud presence. Um, so uh why exactly don't you want the uh, the Olympics to come out to LA? Aren't they great? Like, don't people we, love the Olympics? We hate athletes and we hate fun <laughs> and we hate yeah. getting together. All these other things we've been accused of. Um no, I mean it's it's like the most what one of the authors and um anti-Olympian kind of people uh out there is called you know, he, he calls this like celebration capitalism, and this is like a really, really um, gross example of um, global capital coming in and parking it in your city and fucking shit up. It's basically an anti-gentrification project. Um, what we're doing, the Olympics being a, a giving the pretense to like gentrify and over-police your town. Um, the, I- the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, is a stateless like organization. So just imagine that like just coming in and busting up a city. Yeah. yeah. So, so from what I know from this, this is, I, I am not deep enough in it, but I do know stories of, you know, them building huge, gigantic stadiums. Um, they rush along the project so that workers are injured. Um, mm-hmm. They are displacing people, uh, housing, like you said, um, to make these brand new stadiums and they, and they get tax abatements and they're mm-hmm. running away with a whole bunch of money and leaving behind like a big stinking eyesore that killed people. Exactly. Yeah. Like any, any problem that your like community is suffering from right now. Um, if you get something like the Olympics, a mega event, it will just accelerate the hell out of that. So if you like, if workers are, you know, working under precarious circumstances, that's just going to only increase. Um, if gentrification is an issue, this is going to pour gasoline on that. If policing is an issue already, um, this gives them the pretense to kind of add all this new military and surveillance apparatus, but under the guise of something fun and good. Uh, it's really gross. It's been going on for about 120 years in this kind of modern iteration. The guy who started it is like a eugenicist from France named Baron de Coubertin. <laughs> um, since then, it's kind of... Uh, 
there's examples of really bad things from every Olympics ever. It was like a sideshow to the World's Fair. So like literal, like kind of, you know, and I think some people have knowledge of what, how, how those work. So they're very similar. So you're just saying this is, this, there's never been like a pure time of where like everyone in the world was like, we want to get our bestest athletes together and have them compete. You know, it was, it was somebody coming in and doing like economic devastation on the city and, you know, running away with a bunch of money. Yeah. And then also not to mention like um, when fascism got a hold of it, uh, you know, during the, uh, World War II and stuff. So there's also those connections to it. I mean, obviously, like, um, and you, I'm sure, you know, your, um, your listeners are probably familiar with the ideology of fascism and what it does and how it reacts to, to the left. But, um, you know, the 19, uh, uh, 40 Olympics were canceled because of World War II, and also the 1944 Olympics were canceled because of World War II. The 36 Olympics were, the, were, the were held in, yeah, in Berlin, and they kind of started the whole torch relay thing that we think is so uh, common with the Olympics, and um, the idea of different countries marching out and saluting a leader um, in the in an arena, and after... Um, you know, after the war was over, um, the IOC started up the Olympics again, but they really, really liked um, what the pizzazz that the, the Nazis put on it and they kept it since. Yeah. And there's all sorts of other examples. I mean, that's why the Nazis and fascists like love the Olympics is because it's an example of them to kind of foreground this kind of competition for like essentially like racial purity well, um hyper nationalism yeah yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's it kind of it gets people to like join up in their camps and groups and like pick your nationality you know like uh pick your team yeah exactly and so i mean anti-olympic groups are as old as the olympics like this is nothing new that we're doing it's just like a lot of the left's history, it's been scrubbed from kind of the popular imagination. Um, there, there was the Workers' Olympiad. There was a, there's a lot of activity in Europe and in America um, where there were um, leftists and communist uh, alternatives to the games and where they tried to actually um, fulfill these kind of lofty goals of the Olympics, like amateurism, right? Like the same way the NCAA kind of plays with am- amateurism, um, but like actually having amateur athletes compete but not in this hyper competitive arena necessarily where you're like kind of getting together and just kind of celebrating sport. And that kept happening um, in the, I want to say the twenties, thirties and in the teens in between and before the world wars. But like, I think both of those world wars kept it from really sticking in any, in any one place. Um, So it absolutely, there, there have been leftist alternatives to this and that haven't like destroyed communities out there. So when people are trying to envision like, a future past the Olympics, they just have to look to the past. Like, like anything else, it's like seeing models for healthcare in other countries or whatever. It's like there's the left has been paying attention to this for a long, long time, actually. Um, And so I didn't know about a lot of that until we started getting deep into this a couple of years ago. Um, But, you know, but but once you get, once you get into the the seventies and eighties, like with the rise of neoliberalism, like the devastation um, just gets so much, so much worse. So like all the ones from our lifetime, you can point to not just Rio, not just, the Sochi, the ones that were like visibly disasters, but London, Sydney, uh, Atlanta, 96, LA, 84. Um, LA, and one thing other to mention that most people in LA don't realize is that LA also had the Olympics in the thirties. We had the 32 Olympics, which was right before the Hitler ones. Uh-huh. And, um, the city was awarded it. It was, it was a real estate tycoon. I just read a really boring book about it, but, um, the, there's a real estate tycoon, named Billy Garland, who got together with the six newspapers at a time that LA had at the time to like sell LA as this single family paradise. And it worked. 
And so they got the 32 Olympics, even though as they approached them, the, the Great Depression happened essentially, and they should have canceled the games. LA had these Hoovervilles all over town, these, you know, like these basically impoverished encampments. And they, they imported thousands of tropical, um, of, of palm trees to create the illusion of like this tropical paradise, even though it's a desert here. Oh, wow. And, and it basically worked. Um, and that's why LA is kind of like the single family paradise that is unaffordable for people my age and younger now is because of the 32 Olympics. And now the wow. LA 84 Olympics created like a policing hell that is still in the DNA of the LAPD today, because we had basically LAPD's worst. Yeah. Think of, yeah. Think of Los Angeles in the 1980s. I mean, the police force was notorious for being one of the most uh, violent and, you know, militarized uh, police forces in the, in the, in the world. Um, and yeah, the 84 Olympics, that policy led to, you know, the 92 LA riots. Um, and, you know, you can, a lot of this isn't like that. Um, a lot of people have probably seen the OJ Simpson documentary about, um, about what, um, LAPD was up to and, um, uh, yeah, the 84, 84 was really messy. Like Daryl Gates was like the chokehold guy, like LA was already, and we don't, we don't, we don't claim that like the Olympics invents any of these problems out of like, you know, thin air. Like it's just the LAPD was really bad at the end of the seventies. It had always been really bad. I mean, most police departments in major cities are bad, but LAPD was really, you know, unique. One of the top five, I'd argue, in America. And then, but by the late seventies and, you know, the white flight and, you know, the economic devastation and the war on labor, um, by the early eighties, things were really bleak in LA. And, um, we had like a really bad chokehold policy that he got in trouble for. But then the Olympics were coming around and he, they got all these new toys and all this new kind of, permission to take it to the next level where basically when you think of LAPD, I think you, most people think of like SWAT SWAT guys. And that's, there's basically no difference at this point. Yeah. So they basically, we basically to, to go back to what Steven was saying, like you see things that were used in the, in the, in the, in the lead up to the 92 uprising, like battering rams to destroy like poor black people's homes that they were given for the LA 84 Olympics. And they were also um, trained by the IDF they brought in the IDF to get everyone ready for the 84 Olympics. And that just like stayed that stayed. And it, and it helped create even more, you know, tension between uh, poor black and Brown folks that were round up and like thrown in jail before the Olympics. Um, even though for most people that we talk to that are like upper middle class or white or affluent, like the perception of 84, it was that it was good because it made money yeah. and that there was no traffic, but oh. Yeah. Anyway, it, it, it's it's a nightmare, but like that's we've been really fighting the perceptions of eighty four. I was just going to say that that's what the problem is: is that people just do not investigate and don't want to hear this kind of stuff because it bumps them out or whatever. Sure. And yeah. they just they just the news just says L- Olympics in L.A. big money maker for local businesses, and people are like, all right, that's settled. You know, like the you know people said it was good. The the money maker said it was good for them, and uh, you you. You, you, when you, you get on, you get out the ledger and you look where this money is going to, it's like they're in, you know, LA probably did need a lot of cash injected into it, but it should have been spent on the residents that were there because there's also stadiums there. You can do track and field and swimming and shit and probably somewhere in the area. You don't have to build a brand new stadium and beef up the police and all of this. It's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a very unique problem, but like you said, it just accelerates the big city issues that were already there, you know? Yeah, ex- exactly. And it's, and you know, it's like, 
it's not just our problem. Obviously, we've been working with other groups, which we can talk about more around the world. But it's like, it's just, we've seen, I think the light bulb that goes off in people's heads when people are like, so it's a done deal, right? You're going to get the Olympics. And we're like, well, um, I don't know. Things seem pretty unstable in like our society right now. I wouldn't make any like bold, you know, proclamations about what's going to happen in eight years in, in, about anything. But, but you know, like, but we, if you want to really get an idea of like what the Olympic bidding cycle is like that, you can, you can look at what Amazon did with the HQ two. Yeah. And they've kind of taken it to a different level. And I think most people understand that at this point, that it's, really fucked up and when queen when queens got was like awarded the hq2 people got really really upset and they were trying to move in very quickly and the community organized across a coalition of mostly tenants rights groups and they essentially won even though they didn't fully remove amazon from queens in new york city which was their ultimate goal but they they at least got some political support and from the grassroots um to stop that even though it was a quote done deal and like the two the two parties had like signed off on this so we feel like it's it's uh yeah, yeah. winnable conditions you know conditions are always changing right capitalism is always changing so like johnny said how like you know anti-olympic groups have been organizing since the invention of the olympics but you know it's it's there's it's there's things now that are unprecedented that make the conditions different and um so that idea of it being a done deal is kind of like a myth that we have to like knock out of people's heads Right. And most people we can get if we're like, if we can stop them and like most people are winnable. There is not like a strong mandate. There's not a lot of a ton of support, but it's just LA is an incredibly sprawling, you know, geographical area. Our opponents have like, they own all of the three like media outlets in town of which there are very few. And they're some of the richest people in the world. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's the calculus, but we have time. And I think like history on our side and that's, we feel like there's a few more years of this and we can actually work towards a ballot measure or or work towards some sort of other intervention and that it's not a done deal. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I have to also, I mean, we were in LA, uh, Last time I was in a part of town where there was a lot of, you know, homelessness that I saw way more. And I can imagine by 2028, it just being a repeat of 32. Yeah. You're going to have more, more economic disparity, you know, unless things change drastically. And I I hope they do, but, um, you know, it does, it it just kind of makes me nervous because it seems like history repeating itself just from what I've seen of LA recently. Absolutely. And it's right. And it's like, it doesn't matter where you were in town. It's exploding everywhere. It's not just in Hollywood or in Skid Row or Venice where it traditionally was since I've lived here. But like, yeah, homelessness is what drove me into and my own housing precarity, like drove me into organizing a few years ago. I had done some soup kitchen stuff or volunteered at some what I now look at as probably like deeply corrupt, like nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where the good ones were because there were people doing good work. It took me a long time to find that stuff. Um, and then as that happened, the problem's gotten worse and worse. Like it's on paper, there's 60,000 unhoused people in LA County right now, which is bigger than the last couple cities I've traveled to. <laughs> it's probably closer to a hundred K it's, it's the least affordable place in the country because average income is like in the high twenties. Yeah, there are encampments now. And I mean, I would say in, in literally every single neighborhood in the, in the city. And it's, so even people that don't pay attention to this stuff normally, they, they can't not now because it's, you know, on every other street corner. Yeah. Even the bougie neighborhoods. And, you know, I, I, you were out in Highland Park yesterday. I was out in Echo Park Lake yesterday, kind of defending a lot, you know, the streets, the sidewalks have become, you know, the battlegrounds in a lot of big cities where homelessness has just gotten out of control. Um, 
And so we're fighting both stuff like life and death kind of crisis organizing right now. We're kind of working with a lot of groups, but it's, it's a nightmare out here. Like the, the, the scariest stat for me, because it's probably so personal is that 600,000 people in LA spend 90% of their income on rent. Oh my God. And I've been there. And I recently, two of my the outlets that I work for, I'm a media worker, have recently said like, we don't have a budget for freelancers anymore recently. So it's like, I've, you know, it's like, it's very personal. It's like, I, um, like, it, like you're saying, if homelessness is directly addressed, which is absolutely not by the administration now, but if, if we start investing in public housing and other things by the time the Olympics come, then I believe that those same forces will also help reject the Olympics because they're so deeply tied because the, the myth that yeah. this bid was sold on, unlike the other ones, you know, cause most of your normies are like, yeah, expensive white elephant stadiums and debt and all this other stuff. And that's totally, those are legitimate concerns. Like those are resources going away from the public into private hands or into wasteful areas. But it, it's really the, it's really the housing and the policing because it's, they're like, oh, we have all this sports infrastructure that's already being built right now. Like this stadium in Inglewood in that's displacing basically all the black working class residents right now. The only difference is, is it's going to be used for other stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but like most arenas, it's going to spend most of its time empty. And the size of the parking lot is just, again, like the, the and, size of a neighborhood. And the opening act, who is it? Oh, the, so, so this summer, the SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, which is the most expensive, I think, American stadium in history. Inglewood, a historic black neighborhood. Right. And, and SoFi is a student loan company, which is perfect. Uh, uh, I think Taylor Show is opening it with a three-night kind of performance. So it's, it's like, it couldn't be more on the nose and everything in LA. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Okay. Yeah. Like when you think <laughs> of like the opposite of like a, you know, historically black neighborhood, like the, who's the whitest like pop performer you can think of. It's all the narratives like that are just like really on the nose right now. It's pretty wild. But anyway, they sold this Olympic bid saying that like, Oh, we don't have to build any new stadiums. This is a no build Olympics. But what we've seen already as early as 2018 is poor people in rent stabilized housing, which is very precious right now being evicted because of a fucked up California law called the Ellis act legally. And those turning into hotels and other luxury developments right next to stadiums and other like kind of tourist zones. So that's where a lot of our on the ground um, energy is right now is in uh, a campaign we launched called homes, not hotels. Um, And that's where the building is. Like we literally have, eight buildings down by USC, by the Coliseum um, that are full of uh, low income tenants that have many of them been there for decades. Um, and they're all getting displaced. One of them works for USC for the Coliseum. The other one works for the soccer stadium. That's right there. They will probably get placed displaced far enough away that they'll lose their jobs. Um, and the, the small amount of money, the cash for keys that they get is like, might not even last them, get them through the next deposit at their next place they're living in. So, and we've seen that like, this isn't just like a conspiracy theory. Oh, this is happening for the Olympics. The, the, all the paperwork that's running through city hall that our city councilors are rubber stamping is saying, we need to address this upcoming hotels crisis for 2028. We might not be able to house all these tourists, these rich tourists. Meanwhile, we literally have the most unsheltered people on a given night. And the real problem with LA, which is like all other fucking places, but like somehow we like are exceptional at it is that there's just very, very little, I I would argue it's the least democratic city in America. And I come from new Orleans and I've spent some time in some other really fucked up places. The amount of city council members uh, per capita with the, of the population. Yeah. Um, We have 15 council members for 4 million people. 
We have five county supervisors for 11 million people. So our county supervisors who nine out of 10 people could not name who that is, in my experience, has over two represents over 2 million people. And our council members are the ones who get to decide who gets to build where they want to. Um, And they're all super corrupt. There's like one out of 14 is not bad on some stuff right now. Yeah. And it's deeply entrenched. You have to have a fuckload of money to like even compete. We have primaries coming up. Um, there's a couple good progressive, you know, better progressive candidates. Um, and it's just, and we have like a, an especially apathetic, um, uh, voter turnout, voter, I mean, voter our, turnout. Our, our mayor Garcetti, um, how, how many votes did he get when re-election? Like, yeah, he got re- reelected for a five and a half year term with like, I think like somewhere between like, like mayor Pete numbers yeah, basically, yeah. but for a city the size of LA. And while we're on the subject, like he is mayor Pete, he is mayor Pete. He's friends with mayor Pete, our mayor who like ushered in this Olympic bid. Who's like our enemy. Number one, Eric Garcetti. He's, um, he's only about eight years older than Pete. He kind of looks like him and they have like a very similar affect. They were both. This. Does he do oh, Obama yeah, voice? Does he do like Obama voice? Like a hundred percent. He tries the, the cadence at least. And he's got that like internal seething rage that you can just see like he's, he's like gritting his teeth so hard that they're going to shatter. You know, he's a theater kid that pretends he likes sports because it is a sports town. Uh-huh. Um, he's, he's like literally like, he's like, he's like, like Pete, he's just a cypher. He will do whatever. We have a whole thread on our Twitter of just photos of them together from the last couple of years. Yeah. He looks like basically if you took an empty suit and squeezed it and like some, some flesh just popped out of the top and grew a face <laughs> on it. That's exactly what he is. Like yeah. a million of this guy. This, he's just factory made suit. Yeah. Talk about a fucking fail son. His dad was Gil Garcetti, the DA who not only fucked up the OJ trial, uh, but he mishandled a lot of stuff in the Rampart scandal, which was like a big LAPD clusterfuck in the nineties. And, um, Otherwise, his his dad might have been the mayor before him. Um, so he grew up in extreme privilege with this other guy, Casey Wasserman, which I should probably mention, oh, yeah. who's like our biggest oligarch. And the, unfortunately, most people don't even in L.A. know who Casey Wasserman is outside of like money people and like people working in the sports industry. But Casey Wasserman is um, I would call him a fail grandson because his grandfather was this guy, Lou Wasserman, who is a big Hollywood fixer. He was head of uh, MCA, I believe, the agency. He like he knew where all the bodies were buried. He was long time rumored for uh, to be funneling mob money into Hollywood, like very directly. Um, and this my favorite my favorite <laughs> factoid about him is that he's the guy who got Reagan into politics. Oh yeah, he pushed him from like being a SAG spokesperson into like politics, politics. So we can thank Lou Wasserman for that. Yeah, or- Orange County, um, you know. Very it, Orange County politics and LA politics are one kind of one and the same, especially with during the Reagan era. I mean, Nix, Richard Nixon also he, the Nixon Library is in Orange County. Um, so yeah, Hutch is from Orange County, and it's you know like we both always laugh at the idea that like LA is some progressive place. There's so much you know white nationalist KKK, yeah. a hard Republican history like just even in the neighborhood where we're recording this right now yeah the corruption it's like really really deep i mean the movie chinatown is based on all that stuff you know it's a documentary basically yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's fucked up but like with the wasserman so the two guys casey wasserman and eric garcetti um the wasserman grandfather lou he you know like wasn't disgraced but he was very powerful but like was definitely doing some money laundering his son jack myers was a, a rich scion of hollywood who also got in trouble 
for uh, embezzlement and money laundering. So that when Casey was born, he wanted to take his grandfather's name because his dad had like disgraced him. Casey Wasserman and Eric Garcetti go to Harvard Westlake, you know, a, a, a fancy private school in LA. Um, they're both like VIPs for the 84 Olympics. Like I think Casey got to run the torch for part of it. Either way, they loved it. And I believe them. Like I legitimately believe they probably had a blast. Um, and in that time, Casey Wasserman has fucked up a lot of stuff. He had like an old um, XFL team where someone died during a game or something like that. He kept on trying to make an NFL stadium happen downtown for like 10 years. It didn't happen. Um, he, he was, you know, like a very George W. Bush. He just kept on getting all these chances. Yeah. Then he's founded a sports media agency called Wasserman. Wasserman, um, I should also back up and say he's been on, he's on the Epstein logs. Um, really? Yeah. He's also Megan Rapinoe, the, the, the soccer player's agent. Okay. So he messages a lot around like, um, especially around like, you know, uh, women's sports and equal pay and all this other stuff. But meanwhile, he's like, it's in a Vanity Fair article. This is, you know, it's like no one in LA is writing about that. He has some weird mega wealthy connections to shady people. Um, it's their idea. They cooked this up, th- this whole Olympic bid. And um, the some other fun facts about Casey Wasserman recently is that he's um, he's embroiled in this Papa John lawsuit. His PR, his PR company called Laundry Service, which is a weird name for a company when like three generations of your family are doing like dubious financial transactions was representing him when the the infamous n-word like phone call happened and so papa john is suing wasserman now because he believes that wasserman leaked that tape to the press which i believe is probably true which is fucked up when papa john has the high ground um so this is all break like the 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 lawsuits is finally moving i think it was in the news this week so he's here papa john say he was lying about eating 40 pizzas in 30 days though so (laughs) that broke my heart yeah (laughs) i mean so this is a guy who a was no matter how you dice it was theoretically representing papa john as his publicist when that happened and that kind of got out of control now that i'm just hoping that something happens in the discovery process of this that could that could be interesting, but like Casey Wasserman has also been alleged to be behind a famous sports and pop culture website that just sold to Spotify. Um, so he's got all sorts of weird VC connections, Epstein connections. Um, the Olympics themselves are like, you know, a very above ground, like sex trafficking and sexual abuse kind of org, like more so than every other space in society. Yeah, we, you know, we, and, and how so? Well, the big, right when we started um, in like, I think, you know, late 2016, early 2017, a big gymnast abuse scandal broke out with Larry Nassar, who was, a had been in contact with especially very young, uh, girl gymnasts in particular for decades. Um, it was a huge scandal. At least 180 women came out against him. Um, he's going to be in jail forever. Yeah. Multiple Uh, life sentences. It was like, uh, I think his sentencing was like nationally televised. Yeah. It it got a lot of press for a minute. It's, it's very much died down though recently, but um, it's not just gymnastics. Like there's a, there's an equestrian abuse scandal in Pasadena. There's a orange County swimming abuse scandal that's been going on for decades. Uh, One of the guys who was an LA 84 boxing champ who that this bid used to like sell the new bid after that bid, was approved in 2017. He, and to this day, he's still awaiting trial for abusing one of his child students. Um, it's incredibly rampant because at the end of the day, 
the Olympics, the IOC is just insanely unaccountable, like more so than everything else in our society. But we give them an, an amazing amount of access to like children, to our cities, to like, you know, all these aspects of our lives. Yeah, it's and, a stateless entity, yeah. meaning that it's like beholden really to no government. Yeah, it's like an act. So the, the IOC, who, you know, the, who's like the FIFA of the Olympics. First of all, FIFA and IOC are both based in the, the city Lausanne, Switzerland. Switzerland, we know, is like right. notorious for being like a uh, hideout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A financial haven for like uh, scoundrels of all sorts. The IOC, I think 10% of their membership is European like royalty still to this day. Um, they just started letting women in, you know, relatively recently. Um, Henry Kissinger is an honorary IOC member. So he gets to go to whatever Olympics he wants and he'll make like a per diem of like eight or 900 bucks. Meanwhile, like most American Olympic athletes live in some form of poverty. Wow. Um, it's like, there's like, no matter how, what angle you go at it, like once you like get into it, it's like, it's a, it's a nightmare. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, a it's, it's, it's real bad. And um, you know, it's funny because like, again, like you said, like, you know, people, they think of the Olympics and it's just like a fun little lark that comes on every few years that people watch on TV. And there's some like fun stories about it. Um, I think luckily, like I think really hardcore sports people kind of only see it as just like, um, you know, a funny, like um, distraction or whatever, or yeah. Like, well, well, weirdly it's not actually for hardcore sports people. Yeah. It's actually for very casual sports fans in America. And the coverage of it is like really bad. I would argue like NBC right. does really bad job of covering this TV show, but that's like, that's besides the point. Like, right. That's just and me as a cultural critic. Sure, but, like, sure, yeah. but, but like, it's a bad TV show. Like it's like, and they, and they also the NBC machine too, which is probably the most evil, like entertainment entity for a lot of reasons, the Trump stuff, the, uh, I mean, there's so many different ways to look at it, but like they have like Mike Tirico, like all, and Matt Lauer and all these sex pests, like that are still like, at least some of them on air for the Olympics. It's like, but anyway, it's this gross spectacle. We've been lucky enough to, the next one is coming up this summer in Tokyo. And unfortunately, barring, well, I mean, barring a coronavirus or some other force of nature, like that one probably is happening. Steve and I and a bunch of organizers from LA, including one of the people being displaced down by USC that I was talking about uh, earlier, were able to go to Tokyo last summer. Oh, yeah. Uh, How was that? It was fucking amazing. Um, there was and other groups from all over the world, other no Olympics groups, like from Paris um, and places that have had the Olympics or might have the Olympics. Right. We're also present Paris. Um, some folks from Rio, London, uh, Seoul, Seoul, Korea, because they had Pyeongchang a couple of years ago and they're maybe on the, the chopping block in the, for the 2032 games. Um, some folks in Jakarta, some urban planners came out basically. And the cool thing is, is they were all anti-capitalists. So like one of the things about like anti-Olympic movements recently, like some of the successful movements have come from a more like ideologically like incoherent or like from a labor and leftist tradition. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I was saying the opposite, but oh, so, like, right. like Denver and Calgary who kicked out their Olympics recently, they're coming from more of a centrist right wing, even like talking uh, points sometimes, but like all the people who made the trek to Tokyo last summer uh, were coming from, an anti-gentrification and anti-capitalist framework. And most of the folks, and there are two groups in Japan um, that are leading their anti-Olympic movement. And one of them is more academics and media people. And the other group is predominantly unhoused people. And so to go and work with folks that are being materially, you know, very directly uh, affected and to see the level of organizing they're doing um, 
meanwhile being unhoused is like was pretty like humbling i think mm -hmm. and you know having all these different languages being spoken um we had a trans an interpreter with us and it was 14 out of 15 of us our first time in japan and and um doing was, a huge street protest in shinjuku was pretty amazing uh, yeah we have some videos of it um, yeah one of our team like half of our team split off one day and went to fukushima which is where the olympic torch relay is kicking off next month fukushima was the site of a gigantic nuclear disaster not too long ago. Wow. And so, and so this, and, and to be honest, it's not safe for return at this point. We brought, you know, our size our, our the seismographs and brought a team to go and document what was going on there and see all the, you know, radiated soil and the fact that this Olympics in Tokyo is being used as to greenwash this disaster and say that, Oh, we're back when in fact, that's just not true. That yeah. not enough time. And, and in, 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 and in the rush to pretend that they are back, quote unquote, all this, all these other resources are going in the wrong direction. That's a nightmare. All sorts of homeless people are getting kicked out of their, you know, like encampments. Um, facial recognition technology has been introduced. All sorts of, um, you know, privacy laws and policies have changed over the last five years to accommodate this new level of security theater. Um, it's gone, I think, $20 billion over debt. Um, it's going to be happening not in Sapporo because of fears about the heat for the marathon. We went last summer and it's just ridiculously hot. Like, and we missed a heat wave the week after we left. I think 59 people died, including one of the workers building the Olympic stadium. Um, so we're seeing everything play out. The media has actually been more critical early on than we thought. And we will be sending some folks back to, um, to help help in the struggle and help make sure people the narratives as much as they can can penetrate through the you know the feel good stories and the the condoms at the Olympic Village and all this other bullshit. Um, so we've and 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 in doing so we've kind of created this transnational coalition that's still kind of crystallizing like our politics and like what we agree on essentially. But one of our goals is to start launching like tenants unions in other countries that don't have that yet. And, mm. but basically there's a need for that. And that could be some really powerful shit that just, you know, goes beyond stopping the Olympics, which, yeah. you know, is, is, right. is a goal, but it's just development. I, still, it's just, I, still, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't, I maybe go old school with it. Maybe just set up a competing Olympics, like in a field somewhere without, without all of the waste and disruption <laughs> and see if you yeah, can exactly. build a better Olympics. Yeah. And, and, and most people get hung up on like once they're ready, when they're like, OK, so the Olympics is bad. So what's next? And they're like, well, like, OK, a lot of people get hung up on like, oh, maybe we should do one city or, or like um, four cities and just rotate it. Or everyone's like, oh, let's go do it in Greece. Like the 2004 Greece Olympics, like destroyed that country. Yeah. Like they'll, they'll never be the same again. Like, don't give it to fucking Greece. Um, don't give it to L.A. permanently. Like it's not it's not the where it's the who it's the IOC is that's the problem right. and just being able to name and identify them as being like they're just like this black box of like profit making that has this really powerful brand but that the, the, the one of the heartening things is that all these other cities around the world basically have gotten the picture and they get it like it's very very rare for the IOC to be able to find a city that's undemocratic enough to take them like LA. And so I think the success rate is like 90 to 95% in referendums in the last 10 years. So in most places in the world, they get it. Yeah. I, I, I um, uh, shoot. 
Sorry, I forgot what I was going to say there. I got like a notification came up on the computer. I had to shut it off, and I'm sure everybody heard that. But uh, yeah, I'm sorry. No worries. No, I mean, it's just like, so that's what we're doing right now. Like if people want to get involved, like No Olympics LA, let us know. Like there's opportunities, even if you're not based in LA, where you can contribute on some research. We're doing all sorts of, you know, our ground game is really expanding this year. Um, And we're trying to like ride some of the wave of like the left, you know, both locally, nationally, Moms for Housing. There's a bunch of other kind of big kind of occupation-y kind of events bubbling up in LA that, I think you're going to be really cool. I mean, that's what I kind of, um, I mean, this is kind of a just post revolutionary planning shit, but to it kind of is the same way I think about professional wrestling, where it's like we have to get rid of the WWE, um, right? Because of the, the the way they do their contracts, the way they take advantage of people and, you know, the people in charge. And people are like, well, what are we going to do? And it's like, I mean, you, you don't actually need all the spectacle, you don't need all of that extra stuff. Um, Regional wrestling was very popular for a very long time before WWE killed it, you know, and uh, people can go to their local place and watch live sports. And even if it's not the best in the world, it's a lot better than, uh, you know, watching it even just like the best in the world on TV. You know, like when you went to, totally. I mean, there's still could be live feats of strengths and sports. It's not getting rid of that. But the machine behind this is something that has to just go away before we can even consider starting, starting over. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's like, we don't need the fucking Cletus, the football robot. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's exactly. just like all this other shit. Yeah. Or, like- or these major, sp- you know, like Eric, we haven't, we've talked about get into Airbnb and, and that contract with, um, cause that's a major driver of displacement as well. And they just said, what was the amount with uh, Airbnb just announced a 10 year contract with the Olympics, which goes right through LA 2028. So, cause they're going public this year, supposedly Airbnb okay. that is, um, so that's just a new layer, but surprisingly more people that we interact with know about Airbnb at this point than they do the, why the Olympics are bad. So, uh, because of other people doing good work around that, you know, um, for sure. But, but yeah, the Airbnb's fucking nuts. Uh, I mean, a lot of this stuff is happening. I mean, in our cities as well. I mean, it's, it's the way that, that, that the government has been set up. Um, and you know, Columbus, it is not farmland. It very much wants to be a big city. And, uh, about 10 years ago, which is, you know, I moved a couple years after this, but 10 years ago, this group called One Columbus got together and it was like these group of developers, uh, and city council members. And like you were saying with LA, uh, our city council members, I think like there's 36 of them or something and 30 of them are, were appointed. Like they, they, they none of that. You nobody votes for anybody. You get to vote for like the face of city council, and like ours, basically like a noble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Andrew <laughs> Ginther is ours, and he's a real piece of shit guy. <laughs> Um, you know, that has ignored the police problem, uh, and has doubled down on, you know, all kinds of issues that we've had. I mean, just set, like, just instant, every six months, there's an incident coming out of Columbus, our police force. He, they're ignoring that. Um, there also was here, uh, our Columbus crew is the, is a, our, uh, major league soccer team here. And they had like the worst attendance in the league. And, uh, somebody bought the stadium and was, 
going or bought the team and then they were going to take it to Austin, Texas. That was their plan to just buy the team and take the whole brand somewhere else where they think they could do better with it. And that mm-hmm. triggered some sort of contractual agreement where the owners of the other Ohio sports sports teams have the opportunity to buy it first before it leaves. So the Cleveland Browns bought the soccer team <laughs> and that now has turned into a brand new stadium for the soccer team downtown that's going to have like brew pubs and probably like you know limited brands like victoria's secrets or like an express store in there um Mm -hmm. it's going to be one of those things and we're building this this one columbus has now like really in the last 10 years changed the way that it looks and we have a lot of mixed use stuff going in 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 buildings that were just fine we have a lot of excess spending uh into making these nice luxury places uh, that are also ignoring uh, the, the other neighborhoods, you know, the poorer neighborhoods in town. Uh, when we did the the variety show uh, in February, when we had District Sentinel here from D.C., I got an Airbnb for them just because that's the cheapest way to get like six people to sleep in one place. Sure. And, and it was uh, the person straight up wrote, uh, if you... You need, I need an, I'm sorry. This, this neighborhood has, uh, boarded up houses and has trash and all of this. And you need to know that before you accept the reservation for this, if you're comfortable being in this kind of neighborhood. And it was just like right over the train tracks. And it was, there was boarded up houses and then this completely re- renovated place that we had, uh, that was f- an Airbnb that someone was, you know, making $150 a night getting people. You know, to basically just go to go invade a neighborhood that they don't even belong in, you know, not you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And it's like, you know, like, obviously, like, you know, we're not trying to like, of course, if anyone's listening to this, like dog on anyone for their own, you know, like whatever consumer choices. Um, Yeah, it's just bad because, you know, hotels are super expensive. If if you're a tourist, we get it. We've been um, last weekend or two weekends ago, we were canvassing in Hollywood and we saw something wild. We saw a building. Uh, where it was 39 units and all of them had been evicted except for one and um, where one woman had held out and she had all these signs in her window. Like there's an illegal Airbnb hotel uh, and all this stuff. And we talked, yeah, we talked to her, the person who found this, she tweeted about it and it was like a viral LA, you know, politics tweet. Like there was a lot of attention to it. Um, Found what was going on there. And she's like, Oh, you have to check out what's going on next door. It was an old, like, radio station that hadn't even been converted into anything else. It still had old radio shit everywhere that had also been turned into an Airbnb hotel where you've got people sleeping on the floor next to like, you know, like in a seventies, like radio console. It has, yeah, it has like ghost ship written all over it. Like this is a fucking bad look. Like the people who got the places didn't, you know, who rented it, didn't know what was going on really. Um, And that's, it's so we, we brought our film crew there actually the other day, finally, and um, we're trying to document as much of this shit as possible because it's LA has been changing its laws, probably like a lot of places and trying to regulate some of this stuff, but the lobby to open up new loopholes is just so strong and LA doesn't even have an enforcement mechanism that's like underfunded. It just doesn't even have a way to enforce any of this stuff. So Airbnb is turning like all these neighborhoods into uh Yeah. 
And, 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 and two weeks ago in LA, there was a big fire on the West side and they found out where I think at least one older person died and a bunch of other people got hurt in this, you know, big high rise. And they found out, Oh, that whole floor was basically Airbnb, like party, you know, party units. And wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely going to think twice. I mean, if I ever get a message like that, I'm just going to find a different, <laughs> I'm going to maybe find a hotel or something, but it is, uh, you know, it is, I don't, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad either because it is the people in charge of Airbnb that are getting these contracts and that are coming in and not doing the quality control. There's all kinds of really scary stories that people have of showing up to a city and then being, then sending them to like a filthy place and then saying, Oh, I can get you another one uh and setting them up with like a, something worse and then when they cancel the host gets to keep the money because it looks like they were accommodating or something <laughs> i've read so all kinds of very weird weird shit about it uh and this is that's like that's not the investment that needs to happen people in la need houses uh more than we need uh fucking warehouses for people to sleep on the floor in right exactly and the scariest example of this was a years ago i was working with this guy called zach stone and he was a big like proponent of like you new know, tech solutions sharing economy and stuff and that was kind of like a fresh idea and he had convinced his dad who has i think like you know like ocd or some serious like kind of cleanliness thing he had to have to 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 do their family vacation in airbnb and they did it one year for thanksgiving and it was great so the dad said, let's do it again next year. And so they all meet in some Texas town. Mom's cooking inside, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. The whole family's having just like, you know, like a Hallmark moment. Dad's swinging on the porch under like an oak tree. And unfortunately, that oak tree was dead. And the branch falls on him and it kills his father. He spends his like Thanksgiving in the ER watching his father die. He's a writer. He eventually wrote about this like a year later. And um and that's obviously a very extreme example, but it's like, you know, it's, it's I needless to say, I don't think he's a big believer in the sharing economy now, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we've stayed in them where they're like, there's tree houses, go ahead, run on up, play on the tree house, jump in a kayak and go down the creek. Like they just, there's, but there's no, there's no standards. There's no one, no, for, no one from Airbnb is going to check on these excursions that people are offering you, you know? For sure. And, and yeah, and yeah, the, this, this whole Airbnb experience that they're pushing really hard right now to kind of connect with your neighborhood that you're like helping gentrify. It's been really gross. And so we have a few kind of plans um, related to Airbnb IPO stuff later this year. Hopefully that'll, you know, come so, to, but so everyone pay t- when, when that IPO gets announced, everyone let's try to make some noise about that, please. Because, you know, with Endeavor and we work failing last year, I'm a believer that some of these IP- IPOs might, you know, be, be total failure. So, yeah. So what about, um, uh, so where, how can people help? Like, what's the best way if someone's in LA that wants to get involved, who can they reach out to? Yeah. I mean, cause the website, no, no at no Olympics, LA.com email, okay. email us, but like no Olympics, LA.com. We've got homes on hotels on there. If you want to sign up for that, we've got, we're at no Olympics, LA on the main social media platforms. And so we post about our big events and big meetings and everyone's welcome to all the stuff we post about. And and um, we're con- like, we've been actually getting a lot of people this year. And I think it's because of stuff happening at Echo Park Lake and Moms for Housing and yeah. Bernie. I feel like people are really activated and new folks because, you know, like everyone else, once you get into organizing, then you start working on a few campaigns and everyone gets really like over capacity, but we're all really ambitious. So like, m- we're always looking for more people. If you shoot video, if you research, if you just want to, you know, show up and yeah, honestly, just like show up in canvas and you know, it's anybody in the LA area. If you're, 
if you're just now getting into politics via Bernie, you know, like, you know, uh, people can, uh, phone banking or canvassing for the first time, never thought they would do that bef- um, before. Um, it's really, really easy to, to keep that going with, um, with other movements that you believe in in the area. And I think obviously people who support somebody like Bernie Sanders probably has, um, you know, the, po- the politics needed to help with, uh, with a movement like ours. So, and we have regular meetings and canvases, um, just like that. Yeah. And it's like, and again, if you're not here, some fun stuff might be to, you know, yell at Eric Garcetti when he posts, uh, inappropriate shit about black history month or whatever, like this stuff you can do from wherever Casey Wasserman, who I mentioned the day that Epstein quote unquote, first tried to commit suicide in July, he, after that happened, he shut down all of his social media accounts. Um, so they're all private now, but, um, wow. So say hi to at Casey Wasserman today or whenever you hear this, if you want to um, tell them that, you know, that people around the country, around the world are are paying attention to what's going on here. They don't like it when that happens. And, um, you know, sometimes we hit the road for various stuff, too, for different projects or speaking engagements. So if we're in your neighborhood, come say hi. Yeah. And uh, so I wanted to know, I guess, uh, where, how did you end up here? Like, what was your path to activism individually? Yeah, I can start with myself. I was, you know, it was housing and homelessness. That was always the kind of issue. Like I said, I would dabble in volunteer work here and there, but I felt like that was more about making me feel like better about myself uh, yeah. than anything else. Um and, you know, big radicalizing moment. I come from New Orleans, a fairly conservative community. My mom was not super conservative. Uh, uh, but when she got sick in 2008, like right around the kind of, um, you know, global economic collapse, uh, she got cleaned out, even though she had like the best insurance in the world. She used to be an RN and knew that stuff inside and out. But luckily she's alive and cancer free. But, um, someone who had like kind of always done literally everything right. The system essentially, you know, geared to work for them and still just be living. Like she'll be working until she dies now. Um, and so that was pretty real, but it took, you know, I kind of dabbled in Occupy, um, you know, like, you know, all the big kind of touchstones like black lives matter and the rise of kind of tenant organizing in LA and all this stuff. And then Bernie was probably seeing Bernie get screwed at the last the last cycle was probably what really thrust me out sure. like a lot of other people at that time period. And I met Hutch through DSA. Um, and uh, yeah, Hutch comes from a very different kind of background. I feel yeah, like I, I grew up out here. Like Johnny said, I mean, most of my family is all from orange County, um, which I know is like kind of notorious for being conservative. It's uh, a little, little different than I think other parts of the country, as far as it's like reactionary tendencies there. But yeah, I grew up also in a pretty reactionary environment and um, just my Johnny and I are pretty much the same age. So uh, just uh, going to school locally out here. And then, you know, the, the 2008 financial crisis, basically the, the spell and myth of meritocracy finally cracking in me and realizing that it's all like uh, not real. And, (laughs) and then just slowly just uh, it's an evolution, but just becoming more and more radicalized. And, you know, it's a very similar story from then on, you know, and then, yeah, like Johnny said, major events is kind of like when big spikes in your radicalism go up, you know, um, you know, Bernie getting screwed, um, you know, watching, just watching these things unfold right before our eyes. I mean, shit, just um, watching what happened in Iowa uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I think radicalized a lot of people in this country. Um, so yeah, no. And then um, I've been, um, 
I take, you know, I take my activism very seriously. I also take my um, understanding of political theory and economic theory very seriously. I, you know, I belong to several, you know, I've belonged to reading groups, Marxist reading groups. I'm always learning, always applying what I learned to my activism uh, and vice versa, you know? So, um, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, most of us, you know, um, what's a, well, real quick, uh, Stephen, what's a, so what's a good book? Do you got a good book to recommend for someone that wants to start reading stuff that might inspire them to get out there and do it? Oh gosh. I don't know. Like it depends on where you are with like how radical you are, but honestly, like I think like state and revolution is a good like starter point for like, if you want to go from just feeling kind of socialist to something a little bit kind of more hardcore. Um, um, Who's that by? That's, that's a, that's the classic Lenin one. Uh, But um I don't know. Let's see. What's a recent book I just read? It's kind of hard to. I'm on the spot, but no, it's fine. Just one. That's a good. I mean, you said one. That's all I asked for was one. Well, I, I like those because they're actually like really short little books, and they're really easy to read because when they were written, it was meant for the most people as possible to understand it and get radicalized by it. So there's a reason why they're very famous. All right, excellent. Can I throw out one recommendation too? If you want to understand LA, I think start with Mike Davis's City. Of oh Quartz. yeah, duh, of course. City of yeah. Quartz. City of what? Yeah. Quartz. Quartz, like the rock, spelled with a Q. Q-U-A-R-T-Z. Yeah, yeah. Mike Davis, like how we were talking about just the rich history of Los Angeles and Southern California politics and the corruption. And, you know, I mentioned the movie Chinatown and stuff. Um, uh, Johnny and his uh, his girlfriend, Molly, recently just did an interview with Mike Davis. He lives down in San Diego now. Really, really, really smart guy. Brain like an encyclopedia. Um, I was was lucky enough to uh, transcribe some of that interview. Um, It was... It's pretty pretty amazing. So Mike Davis is something that I I think um, I think he's a treasure for this region for us. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. So if you want, yeah, all California stuff. Like I would start with Mike Davis. He's been he's a lifelong you know red diaper baby leftist. He's mm-hmm. always been a good voice. To, yeah, he he was California. a professor at UC Riverside for a while. Um, yeah, you fun. read his most recent stuff, but anyway, yeah, he's I would I would start with him and and take you know whenever that comes out, who knows when? Take you know, hopefully y'all will see that somewhere. That, that article. Right. That's awesome. Sounds cool. I'm definitely, I think I will probably read that. I need, I switch like, I read something like fiction. Um, I'll read, you know, I would read the Kim Stanley Robinson Mars series, but then I like started re- reading Malcolm X. Uh, to, that's why I oh, yeah. to go Absolutely. back and forth. I like the nonfiction stuff and to fiction to mix them together. But the, that city of court sounds really interesting. I can get into shit like that. It's dense, but it's like fucking worth it. Um, yeah, it, my brain hurt after hanging out with him for a few hours, and that's <laughs> that's how it feels reading his stuff. But it's like it's brutal, um, but it's worth it. It's like it's, we all need, a, yeah, we need, the, we need that sometimes. <laughs> it's very fast. I mean, the whole he just gets into the whole design of Los Angeles itself. I mean, he was kind of one of the first people that was really on top of the the concept behind, like, um, you know. Uh, hostile architecture and okay. um, where where the jails are placed and and, and that whole thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah, that sounds really cool. So, what about um? I mean, what about like uh, free time or you know? <laughs> do you have do you do anything outside of the activism or is there a way that you get or are you constantly on it? Uh, you know, it's a good question. I mean, we're both. I'm a media worker, as I said when I was started working. On Olympics, I was working for the LA Weekly and LAist, and both of those were killed basically within a month. Um, one was 
a union bus by a billionaire, even though it's been reborn and something else. Uh, uh, and the other LA weekly got bought by a bunch of orange County Trumpists and it's like yeah. dog shit. It's like, it's whatever it's, it, it might as well not exist. Um, so I'm actually, I was, I'm kind of, you know, I'm always kind of scavenging for things, but it's so like, I just got another email from someone recently being like our freelance budget doesn't exist anymore. So it's kind of oh, no. jumping from one thing to the next. Um, but we, you know, we try to have fun exercise, like, uh, go out, but like, we're both older millennials now. I feel like we're not out in the clubs or like as much as we used to be. We both get up really early now and do a lot of canvassing and like, yeah, I mean, um, just hang out and cook dinner with each other. Like we're all, you know, <laughs> friends and have all of our girlfriends and friends That's are great. all socialists at this point. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I actually have a science background. I went to school out here and, and I, Professionally, I was an environmental health and safety um, specialist for a long time. But, um, you know, my the company I've been, been had been working for for like almost nine years recently laid off a bunch of people and um, I was one of them. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty wild out here. You know, I I, I do devote a lot of my time to to the cause, you know, but I enjoy it and I like it. Um, but, you know, I've, I also you know, have fun playing a band too for, uh, for fun. And uh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're a busy body. Yeah. We, one <laughs> of my projects that I hope happens this year that kind of combines living in LA and leftism is like a TV, like a reality TV show idea that um, heavily involves like anti-capitalism that we're going to try to throw out there in the world nice. this year. So we'll see what happens That's with fun. that. But like, no one might accept it because the messages might be a little too extreme for people. But if yeah. that happens, that'll be my job for the next year or two. So knock on wood, hopefully that'll be that, something like that. Can that sounds cool. Out. Well, was there anything else you wanted to get in here uh, before we, we hang up? Uh, I think just, you know, like what you're saying about, um, you know, what's it going to, what's, what would something like the Olympics look like, you know, post-capitalism. And I think just remember that the, um, the concept of, you know, human ability and athletic skill uh, existed just fine, you know, for centuries before the existence of capitalism and it will exist just fine after it's after it's after capitalism. So well said. Beautiful. Uh, uh, and so I, I guess uh, what about uh, how about this election, though? Are you guys keeping up on that at all? Yeah, Are I think we both yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, like Steve's been doing probably a lot more groundwork for Bernie than I have, but we'll be, we've been doing a lot, we've been invited to a lot of like Bernie fundraisers for us to table and like, okay. um, yeah, his, he's got an, he's got an office in East LA that's like right by a train station. That's very convenient that I, I go to uh, frequently and I'm actually going to be, um, uh, driving out to Vegas with a group of people, um, uh, next weekend to canvas for, um, the Nevada caucus this weekend. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I, we've obviously, like, I think I went into this year being like, I'm not going to pay attention, like, in a super deep level. Uh, of course, I have been following it, like, probably way too much. Um, um, but luckily, there's so much other work to keep us occupied. But I, I think it's worth mentioning there is a kind of connection to the 20, to the whole No Olympics thing, is that um, a bit, almost a year ago, ago exactly, Eric Garcetti, Mr., you know, mayor of LA, Mr. LA 2028, announced he wasn't going to run for president which was really um, kind of I personally shocking and we would have loved for him to do that because it would have been a really easy way to further discredit him. Mm -hmm. But for years, for two years, essentially he had been running a soft like exploratory camp, you know, non-campaign campaign. And throughout that he kind of created this 
I mean, he's he's eyeing the DNC at this point, I think, um, somewhere in there, if that even exists in a few years. He endorsed but, Biden, though, which yeah, is really funny. He, he recently endorsed Biden. Nice. Right, right before he uh, did a nosedive. The, he, he, <laughs> and two days after he hung out with Bloomberg when he was opening his office. And the long story short, like he basically is Mayor Pete. And those two have been hanging out for years. And so if you want to kind of understand Eric Garcetti through however long Mayor Pete lasts, just that's basically him in a nutshell. They both did like, you know, the voluntary military service for their CV. They both speak like weird Peggy Hill Spanish. They both have just like, they like that Jack of all trades kind of thing. Like, you know, Garcetti plays piano and he likes to show off that he can play piano, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, just like a very technocratic approach to like, even like art um, or whatever. So it's like, that's a way to kind of fantasy understand our mayor is like all your, your seething hatred for rat boy is like what we've been like vibing for, for the last three years. Um, and, but it's funny because it's like, I think he's probably kicking himself because if he had thrown himself into the ring, he could have had carried been in that lane, but now he's just someone who's going to be blocked. Like he didn't want to, you know, he, his path to like a governorship seems very unlikely right now. So he's just a weirdo. So if he ends up in your side of the country or whatever, please just know who he is and just know that he is just as bad as mayor Pete. Yeah. But, but I don't know. The CIA didn't pick him. They picked Mayor Pete. Yeah. So, but anyway, so he he's a fucker. He'll come to New York to do like tonight shows and he'll do, he shows up in the Midwest a lot in the last few years because he was like priming a potential presidential run. We actually reached out to a couple folks in Ohio once. It was too last minute, but we're like, we knew he was going to be out of town because that's his whole deal. He was like out of town all the time. Uh-huh. But um, he'll probably pop up at like the DNC or something. So please keep an eye on that little fucker. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, but I mean, we don't, I mean, my takes are probably similar, you know, the, like, like it's, it's all out right now. Like, you know, whatever we can do to help and like win, lose or draw, like it seems like all the outcomes for Bernie are, you know, like in the direction things, if, if the democratic party needs to break, then that's what's going to happen. Um, so that's fine too. And it, it, I think we're in a weird, in, in an oddly good place, even though they're going to throw out all sorts of other shit at, 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 at the left, but it's, like this is the reckoning we kind of want, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, like this, it's going to be nuts. I just want to make it through, you know, mental health wise through the end of this year and then see, see where the chips fall. But like either way, like we want to fund, you know, after, you know, the California primary, we want to funnel people who are excited into local politics after that. Yeah. I mean, the, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't want people to, I don't want to, I don't want to, purposely crash the ship um if they were doing everything they could to hold bernie sanders down and it was winning and it was working uh then i wouldn't wouldn't be so excited about all the electoralism but there is a moment and there's enough people that uh to the time to strike is now uh you know to to get somebody to get to change the leadership of the country uh so i uh i'm not down on like bernie or anything like that I'm just, you know, I just, I, I am thinking about, like you said, what comes after that. There's still going to be a lot. There, Columbus, one Columbus is still going to be running, uh, roughshod all over the city. There's going, I already know they're mm-hmm. going to uproot a whole bunch of people over in Milo Grogan and Linden. So, uh, there's a lot of activism that has to happen here too for, for our own communities. Yeah. But hopefully either the, you know, getting screwed at a federal level or having success there will help agitate and radicalize people on the ground here. So like, 
think, yeah, I think we just have to be ready to capture and onboard and harness this energy from folks and actually like keep it moving. Even if obviously it'll be a very emotional year for like everyone, no matter where you're at, I'm sure about where you think about electoral politics, but yeah. The time you know, to fight is now. Well, thanks yeah. for having, thanks for uh, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, you did wonderful. I learned a lot, and I can't wait to read those books. Um, thank you for listening to Street Fight. Uh, if you like what you heard, hit subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, whatever it may be. We do two shows a week, and then of course we got bonus shows over on patreoncom radio where you can get. American podcast, uh, Brian's deep dive into um, Kid Rock. There's also a sports <laughs> show that's coming up. That sounds cool. Mega Preacher show with uh, with Tom Sexton. So there's lots of great stuff over on Patreon.com, including Undercover Boss videos. So check us out over there, and we'll see you later this week. Peace. <laughs>